Well, we're in a series called Grit. Some of my southern friends at the General Council who've been listening to some of the messages I've been preaching, they said, you should call it Grits since it's more than one message. Besides that, you love Grits. Oh, I love Grits and eggs. And when I'm good, butter. When I'm bad, gravy. Good stuff. I feel so sorry for some of you folks. Blocks has green peanuts right now. I will be having a feast, boiled peanuts this week. I feel so sorry for some of you who do not have a cultured and cultivated taste palate like I do. I heard that. God's going to get you. But we've looked at a plurality of, of characters. We began with our Savior. The dominant theme I wanted to bring out of that is even though that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans wanted desperately to change who Jesus was, he stuck to who he was. He was called. He was the Son of God. He was God. Yet he was tempted in every measure like we are. So that means there was a part of Jesus that was tempted to give in to peer pressure. We looked at the life of Daniel. I talked to you about Kate Holloman, my teacher. I love Sister Kate. One of the things she taught us about Daniel that I never forgot was he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer as an exile. He was a man of prayer as a teenager. He was a man of prayer in his old age. And as he got old, he was like Sister Kate. He never lost his grit for God. And remember, grit is not just grit in your teeth. It's the guts or the courage. It's the, the resilience, that ability to, to move and to flex and to be flexible. It's the integrity. It's the third character we looked at. It was the life of Paul. He had a congruency of life that came from his confession of faith in Christ that produced a clear conscience that issued in a powerful call. You see, when your life is congruent, when your walk matches your talk, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there is something different about you. There's an anointing. There's something that I can't define. But you know when you experience this fullness of the Spirit of God. And people sense it around you. There's something different about your life. It's not because you're weird. It's just the love of Christ that pours through you. And this morning I want to talk to you about one of my favorite Bible stories and that's the life of Noah and there is so much to say about Noah I mean we could talk about the Nephilim we could talk about the Giants we could talk about you know the violence of the world we could talk about what the world was like before the flood we could talk about the ark we could talk about the rains we could talk about the springs of the earth breaking up I mean there's so much Jesus says this story is important. It's not a fairy tale. It's important. Jesus and everybody I talk to believes Jesus. Jesus says as it was in the days of Noah. I mean, so the story is also prophetic. 
as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at the time that he returns again. So this is a powerful story, but I can't deal with all of that this morning. But you should have been here. If you missed it, I spent two and a half years in the book of Genesis and boy, we went line by line, issue by issue with this. I got to tell you, that was fun just doing that with the midweek services. But tonight, or this morning, I, I want to deal with the guts, the courage, the resiliency, the integrity, and the tenaciousness of Noah. A hundred year building project. I'm not going to talk about the length of years and why people lived longer before the flood than they do today. But the tenaciousness for a hundred years. Imagine being Noah. You're being mocked. You're being ridiculed. I mean, you're building an ark basically in the middle of Nebraska. I mean, there's no ocean. The continents are all one at that time. I mean, they're not separated like they are now. I mean, geologists know this. If, you, if you've ever studied the, the continental drift in school, you know how that the continents were all together. As a matter of fact, the International Geophysical Year, and that was actually an 18-month year, but from July of 57 to, 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 to December of 1958, they were able to prove how this continental drift had happened. All the, there, so there was no oceans the way we know them now. There was an ocean. But, I mean, you're building at a time where people weren't going to see. One comedian said that God spoke to Noah and says, build an ark. And Noah was like, what's an ark? I mean, nothing like this had ever been done before. And so imagine you're Noah, and people are calling you an old loon. I mean, they're just like, you are out of your mind. I mean, there are some people who think we're out of our mind because, number one, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Number two, we believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. We believe that Jesus lived a human life. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, rose again on the third day, and we believe that Jesus is coming back again one day. Can you say amen to that? Well, you're just as crazy as I am. Maybe that's why we all get along so well. I mean, there are people who think we're crazy for believing that. But imagine that you're Noah's wife. I mean, no good godly woman I've ever seen likes to see her husband mocked or made fun of. Now, she may mock him and make fun of him, but nobody else can. Man, it's amazing how many women are nodding their head right now. Y'all were worse than the first service. Imagine being Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I mean, no son wants his daddy made fun of. Imagine the disappointment if you're Shem, Ham, and Japheth's wives of your family that you're in this patriarchal society, your father-in-law has lost his mind. What's he going to do to my little girl? Maybe you want him to divorce because they were doing that in that day. I mean, this is a powerful story of grit. And for a hundred years, Noah and his family endure that. I want to read you two verses of Scripture, and so I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we'll pray. The first one is in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. 
the scripture says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you glad you found grace this morning? Somebody at the general council, young pastor, a middle-aged pastor. It's so weird now. It's weird getting old. This guy is middle-aged. He introduces me to this young youth pastor and says, I want you to meet the man who had the most influence on my life. He molded me, shaped me, and talked to, just was so kind and to this young pastor. I really felt like a grandpa then. And I looked at the young man and says, listen, he knows he's not telling you. The opening chapter of my life is grace. The middle chapter of my life is grace. And the closing chapter of my life is grace. There is nothing good that dwells in this flesh except for Jesus Christ. It's not because Noah was a good man. It's because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that powerful? You're not saved because of how good you are. It's the grace of God and it's amazing. Then the apostle takes this in the book of Hebrews in that long chapter of fascinating stories of faith. The apostle says, by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see. So he was warned and he acted on what he was told and the result, read it with me, his family was saved. You see, God will use you to save your family. God will use you in miraculous ways for the salvation of your home. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. And wasn't that the point of the passage for our communion meditation this morning? Now, Heavenly Father, we want to be people of grit, guts, resiliency, integrity, and tenaciousness. And so I pray in the next few minutes as we explore these passages together, Holy Spirit, speak to us. I believe your word, Lord. I love to preach your word. These folks, Lord, love your word. And I ask you to make it meat. Make it milk for those who need milk. But meat to all of our souls. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. The story of Noah and his grid, I think, is so important for the contemporary life that you and I are living in. There's something happening in our world that even as I begun preaching this series of messages that are so different than when I began working on this series of messages a couple of years ago. The further and further that our nation has drifted from a faith in God, and the further and further we've drifted from the Bible, and sometimes, for some people, the further and further that they've drifted from the cross of Christ, it seems like the more violent our world has become. I don't know what happens to a young man's mind when he walks into a Walmart, and somehow or another he has so dehumanized his sister, his family, and other people that he randomly begins to shoot and to kill them. I don't know what happens when someone walks into a store in El Paso, Texas 
And this week, the father of one of our missionaries, Cruz Velasquez, died. He was one of those that was murdered in El Paso by a gunman who dehumanized them. But I venture to say that it's the same thing that happens if we're not careful that we dehumanize the weakest of those that show up as our borders. Because in the words of one senator, they broke our laws. This is true. But those are children in those detention centers. Those are children that are frightened and scared. And they are here through no fault of their own. And how we respond to them is not to dehumanize them, but it's to love those children. It's to deal with those who break the law. But it's to love those children and to welcome them in the name of Jesus Christ. For whosoever welcomes these little ones, welcome me, the scripture says. It's how Hitler dehumanized Jewish people and the church and state turned their backs as human beings were ushered into gas chambers and killed. It's what happened in Cambodia when Pol Pot dehumanized certain people and randomly they were killed. It's what happens when drug lords and drug gangs dehumanize people. There's something sacred about all of life for we are created in the image of God. You see, the further we move away from God, we lose our identity. We lose our identity not only as the creation of God, but as the beloved of God. You are loved by Him. He has stamped His very seal upon your life, upon your children. And therefore, when I look at you, Tom, or when I look at you, Jim, I see the image of God. I don't just see Tom or Jim. I see the very image of God that you are loved by the Lord. And as we move further and further away from God, there is a particularly disturbing phrase in the Genesis story that says the hearts of people were continually evil. In other words, the things that once were sacred are now mocked and made fun of. And things that should have been thought of beautifully and lovingly and kindly, I see it happening in our own society where things that are pure and innocent Whatever they're said, then people snicker and they make little remarks that are degrading because the further we move away from God, the further we lose our identity and even our thinking becomes affected. We've seen the state as it's changed the meaning of family values and what family values really mean. We've seen the state change the meaning of what commitment really means of what till death do us part really means. And I'm not addressing those of you who have experienced the pain of abuse or abandonment. But when I hear in society and I read in time as I read my issue of time each week or if I read in the living section in the life section of the New York Times as I read that each week or any of the other major newspapers that I subscribe to and the most honest way of living according to the world is no fault for the children but I think it's a more honest of way of living since we don't like each other and since we don't agree together. I think the most honest thing is to that we devote Divorce. It doesn't matter what it costs the children. We're showing them what an honest life looks like. 
Sir, you're not showing them what an honest life looks like. You're showing them what a life looks like when it's lost its identity in Christ. Because when we drift from God, somehow or another, our thoughts become continually evil. You see, I think it's important that we understand all of these things because we read that story and we see that there's a party going on right here, right now. We see that people are living long lives. But Noah was not living in paradise. The world was violent. The world was evil. And every thought had turned to evil. But Noah was different. Something was happening in his life. Something was happening with him and Mrs. Noah and with their three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Something about their lives were different because they heard God speaking. Sometimes when people tell me, I don't hear God, my first question is, are you listening? Because it's impossible not to hear God. It's impossible not to see the thumbprint of God when you watch the sun come up in the morning, when you listen to what's happening during the day, when you read a book or a poem or you hear a song. There are so many times that it just seems as though God speaks, and I've never heard him in an audible voice, but I know he's there. And there was something about Noah's home. There was, and I choose this word deliberately, there is an aura. And you say, Pastor, why did you choose that word aura? Because I remember being a bachelor and living in an apartment by myself. And I remember after Becky and I got married and Becky came in and she changed our home. She changed the place. I, it was the same place, but it wasn't the same place. There was an aura and she made it a home. As a matter of fact, things that I liked and things that I collected ended up in the dumpster because Becky said it doesn't bring the right aura to our home. How many of you men experienced what I was just saying right there? Sure we have. There's an aura in our home now. There's an aura in your home, and I have been so honored to be a guest at dinner meals in your home so often. You know, there's an aura in your house. It comes because of what I see on your bookshelves. It comes of all of those things that you have sitting around that are memories of family events and marriages. It's the food you cook. It's what's there and it's what's not there. It's what's on the television and what's not on the television. It's what's on the computer screen and what's not on. There's an aura that you bring into your home because of Christ. There's an aura in our community because you may be single this morning, but you're still part of a family. You're part of a family of origin. You're a part of the family of God here at Woodland Church if you're single. You're a part of a family that we live in called the Downriver Community, as I was sharing with the first service. We're a part of a family of human beings, and in particular, we're part of the family of Downriver. And your home is an aura in your subdivision, your block, your street. There's an aura at our home because children know that when the winter time comes, they can come sit on our front porch and they can get out of the snow. They're safe there. Their parents know they're safe there. They've gotten hot chocolate when Becky was home. They come sometimes when there is no snow because Becky is home. There's an aura there. She was praying one time and about the students out there, and God gave her an idea to love and to minister, but you, it takes time to build that kind of faith and trust. It's an aura. Noah's family had that aura. 
because they chose a lifestyle, a mentality, an attitude. They chose deliberately a lifestyle to live in the fear of the Lord. Because at that time, Genesis 6, 7, and 8 tells us is when people begin to call on the name of the Lord. God calls Noah to build an ark. <laughs> What's an ark? I've often thought about that. What is an ark? How, how do you build a boat? Any of you like to watch NCIS? Yeah. What's he always got in his basement that he's working on? A boat. The man can never finish. <laughs> and I've thought about what it must be like. And I haven't been there, but I got a glimpse in Kentucky of the ark experience and just looking at that mammoth ark. I'm going, how did they build that? There were no cranes. There were no power tools. There were no custom saws. But when God gives you instructions, when God shows you and tells you, you may not know how to, but you are able to complete the job if you're obeying the word of the Lord. You see, God never calls you to do something that he doesn't empower you to do and that he doesn't equip you to do. So the first thing and the only thing that we're going to get to look at this morning, because I couldn't finish this message in the first service, so it'll be a two-part message, is that Noah had faith in God. Noah had faith in God. And that's what I really want you to see this morning. You see, faith in God is more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. Faith in God means that you not only believe in Him, but you believe His Word and you act upon His Word. You see, again, I've been a guest in a lot of homes all through the years, especially traveling. And I have seen kids who love their parents and they believe in their parents, but they don't believe their parents. Let me give you an illustration. I've seen kids love and hug on their mamas and their daddies. I've seen kids crawl up in their laps. I've listened to them brag about their mamas and daddies when I will ask them to tell me, uh, what's the favorite thing your daddy ever did? Why is your daddy your... They will tell me these things. But you see, they believe and they love their daddy, but they don't believe their daddy's word because the time comes and... They say, Pastor, will you pray over the children? Would you pray when I was traveling? Would you pray over these kids before they go to bed? And I'm happy to. I lay hands upon them and pray them. And then mom and daddy says, now, go to bed. They don't believe that. And a few minutes later, mom and dad says, we said, go to bed. And they've got a smile on the face because the preacher's there. Go to bed. They don't believe it then because they keep playing. And then I've seen that look. It's a demonic look that we get on our faces. I said, go to bed. Pastor, sometimes they're not always like this. And I go, you're lying through your teeth. You see, they love, they believe in, but they don't believe. But Noah, Noah believed in God, but he also believed God. You see, faith is rational. Sometimes we're accused that we simply have faith because we're not better thinkers. We're not more educated. There was a writer for the Washington Post a few years ago who referred to us who believe some of the basic doctrines of faith that I just told you about. He referred to us as loons. 
In his article published by the Washington Post, he later apologized for it because of all the feedback they got. He later apologized for that, but he didn't change his mind about what he believed. You see, faith is very rational. And what I want you to see this morning is the story of Noah is not about going to heaven. It wasn't about Noah dying and being welcomed by the angels. It's how you and I can survive an epic disaster. It's how you and I can survive a life-changing disaster. It's how you and I can face cancer or abandonment. It's how you and I could face war or famine. It's how we can face it if we have faith in God. Because the story about Noah is not about going to heaven. The story about Noah is starting all over again, fresh and new, where the rainbow is a sign of God's blessings upon his life. And there's something interesting about that rainbow. If you look it up in the Hebrew, just study the word, it's the same bow that's used for the bow and arrow. And in this case, after the flood, the judgment is no longer pointed at the earth, but the bow is facing up to heaven prophetically that Christ would come and die for our sins. Let's don't ever lose the meaning of what the rainbow is truly all about. Could we give him a hand of praise for that today? You see, when I read the story of Noah, I read not just the fascinating aspects, but I read a story of a man whose fear of God, his faith in God, was reverent and it was respectful. The Bible tells us that faith is rational. The Bible tells us that our faith begins with thinking. In the book of Isaiah, God says to us, come. Come, let us reason together. Let's talk this out. Let's think this through. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And although it is a popular conception that faith doesn't require thought, it just requires a blind leap, nothing could be more false about what we believe. Because you can't have faith unless you think. You can't, listen to me, please hear me this morning. You cannot be a Christian unless you truly think about your confession of faith. Paul thought about the confession of faith and the life that he had lived, and although it had been a good life, although it had been a, quote, righteous life, and although it had involved trying to keep the law to its uttermost, and although it even involved trying to persecute and do away with people who believe what you and I believe, when Paul thought about it, when Paul thought about it, he came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ was the crucified, resurrected Son of God, and he would make that famous saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You see, the less you think, the less your faith will be. Ours is not an age of thinking. Norman Cousins says, our age is not an age of meditative man. It's a sprinting, shoving age. Daily new antidotes for contemplation spring into being from our drugstore counters. You know, you're perhaps like me. I get one of those daily thoughts for the day, and we think thinking is for philosophers only. Good critical thinking is for all of us. Immanuel Kant, in his book, Critique of Pure Reason, he said, you've got to wrestle with the great questions of life. You've got to think them through. 
And Kant came to the conclusion there were three questions. They are, how can I know what's real? What ought I to do that's right? And what can I hope or live for? So the question this morning, if you want the grit of Noah, of Daniel, of Paul, of Jesus, is to stop for a moment and think about, as Paul did, his confession of faith. When we were working in Europe, Becky and I and the students we had there, we would take the great questions of life, a small booklet, and we would sit with students and discuss them in the center city squares of Liège and Brussels and Antwerp and Mons, Paris down in France, did this in, in Hungary with some folks, did this in Romania just two years ago when I flew over there to do a wedding. I had a student, a youth pastor in Georgia who's now one of our missionaries. He wrote and diagrammed out for me a, a little questionnaire back in the days of pen and paper to sit down with the students. So often we would sit and we would have all these students scattered around and they would sit down on the ground with us and they'd have their bottles of wine and we would go through these great questions. And I've seen time after time when suddenly a student began to think about what the Bible says, when a student began to consider what the Bible says. Friends, you don't have to defend the Bible. The Bible is the living Word of God. The Bible will penetrate the deepest, coldest thoughts of a man or a woman. Always have a confidence in the Word of the Lord. Don't use it as a weapon to bludgeon people. Use it as a weapon to defeat the devil. But use it as the good news, the power of God into salvation. And we've watched them weep and come to know Christ. In those days, Jay Mooney, who would later come on to be our national youth director, I had mentored Jay and worked with him for when he was just coming out of college. Jay got his first opportunity to preach on the streets of Liège, Belgium, and we'd been doing these things, and suddenly a Catholic priest came out of the, the, big, the big cathedral there in Liège, the age was the site of a, some famous World War II battles. It's also the place of some famous shotguns that are still manufactured. It's a prosperous city in Brussels and in Belgium. And this Catholic priest came out and it's the first time, according to him, he had ever heard the gospel preached. And he began to weep and right there in front of people who were astonished with their mouths dropping over, he dropped to his knees and confessed his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. You see, faith is not irrational. But we live in a world, as Cousin says, where people don't think. In the 90s, there was a major article written that 5% of the people do the thinking and the other 95% of people do what they think we should do. How unlike the Christian. For we are called to use these wonderful gifts of minds and brains that are renewed by the Word of God, that are renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can think through these issues. There are important issues in life, more important than your career, more important than your marriage, more important than your children. There is the issue, is there a God? And if there is a God, is He real? What ought I to do? And then what should I live for? Because when you answer those three questions. It will determine the kind of husband, the kind of father, the kind of employer or employee. It will determine the course of your life. So faith is rational. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, that great faith chapter, the apostle writes, by faith we understand. Circle that word understand in your outline. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command and that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. You see, this is reasonable. And the reason that people, I think, struggle with this is because they believe their doubts rather than think about their faith. A few years ago, two surgeons came to Becky and I when I was so sick. They argued in front of us about the course that we should take. I came through the surgery that saved my life, but as you remember, I still wasn't getting well. These two surgeons had a debate. They had already had a major debate during one surgery and came out in the middle of that surgery and put upon my poor wife a decision which fortunately she made the right one. But here are two surgeons arguing in front of her and scaring her about what to do and now they come to us with a second choice. You see, we had to think about the options that we were being presented. We had to research. And both men I am proud to say are my friends but I remember it angered one. You see, it takes grit to make the right decision. It takes grit, but sometimes you can't have that grit unless you think. It's why Jesus said, now please listen. It's why Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. Think about it. Because you can't come to God until at first you believe. And then when you believe, faith makes a decision. Faith not only comes to terms with what's real, what ought I to do, how should I live my life, but then faith comes to a decision. In other words, if there is a God, the universe makes sense. If there is a God, then things are explainable to me. If there is a God, then suddenly I understand. No one can explain natural selection producing a human being like yourself. No one can explain natural selection setting the planets on the course the way they go, the right axis, the right tilt. No one can explain through natural selection the difference in our creative minds and our abilities to build civilization. But when we come to terms with that, it's more than just saying that there is a divine creator. It's saying, I've got to make a decision. Am I going to follow God? And if there is this great God who put everything in place, we understand that the worlds were made, then it doesn't matter what comes my way. If I can stand the pulling, God will pull me through. You and I may be standing in a place today of unprecedented prosperity and health care and a secure nation between the two oceans and between two friendly neighbors. You and I are in an unprecedented time and place with technology and healthcare and science. But there are people facing disasters of epic proportions. 
is I shared with you last week that every six minutes, somebody today is being martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Their homes are being destroyed. Their children are being taken away from them. Their daughters are being raped somewhere in the world. They're living with disasters of epic proportions, maybe not like what Noah was living in, but they don't love their lives so much that they deny God because they love Christ and they overcome the power of the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And when their heads are removed, their eyes open to see Jesus Christ in heaven who waits for them and applauds their love and their sacrifice. You may be in a place of an epic disaster this morning. You may have gotten a cancer diagnosis. You may have gotten news about a family member. There may be something going on in your home or your job. I sometimes just weep as I go through the prayer request day after day. And I know because I've looked for you and I see you this morning. You're in a place, maybe not like Noah, and maybe not like these modern-day martyrs, but you're in a place where you have to decide, do I trust God? And that's why it's so important, if you're going to have grit, that you think. So prepare your mind. Circle that word in your outline. So prepare your mind for action and exercise. Circle that word in your outline. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope. Put, circle that phrase, put all your hope. So prepare your minds for action, exercise self-control, and put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. There are some things in our lives that are ours that we will not fully experience until Christ Jesus comes again. And if you don't believe that and you don't prepare for that, then the disasters will throw you. But if you believe that, then you commit. You see, faith commits. It goes to work. God says build an ark and Noah believed God and you can put faith commits up there for me. Noah believed God and he went to work. He says to Noah, Noah, there's a dark wave coming. Noah, there's a tidal wave of such proportions that you cannot imagine. Noah, it's going to do things that it's never done before. There's going to be rain. The, the, the springs of the earth are going to be able to spring up. Noah, no one will be able to stand before this disaster that I'm bringing upon the earth. And for a hundred years, Noah labored on an ark. You talk about perseverance. You talk about grit. You talk about guts, resiliency, integrity, and tenaciousness. For 100 years, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, they labored on that ark because they believed God. And for 100 years, they faithfully took action day by day, cut by cut, 
opinion by opinion, board by board, until they built what God had told them to build. And friends, God gave them the instructions. God gave them the materials. And as your pastor, I have sought to give you something to build your life upon these last years in order that you could be prepared for the day of disaster when it comes. For God does not allow a disaster to come into our life to defeat us, but so that we might have the victory in Jesus' holy name. God always calls us to overcome. Always calls us to overcome. So Noah made a decision. His life was not going to be defined by the partying of this world, by the business of this world. Noah made a decision that for a hundred years the birds still sang. The sun still came up and the sun still went down. But Noah made a decision. His life was not going to be defined by the things of this world. His life was going to be defined by his faith in God. Not I believe, but I believe. And when daddy says, go to bed, when mama says, go to bed, I go to bed because that's what's best for me. When Christ calls us to faith, we have a choice to either move by a holy fear of God and a reverence of God or to reject and say, I don't believe. But as many of my friends in our community have said to me, I don't believe. We don't reject them. We just try to have those conversations because there is an aura about your life and about your home that may result not just in the salvation of your home, but in the salvation of their home as well. And there are some of you in here, you're not here because Becky and I befriended you. You're here because somebody else took time to be your friend and to love you to Jesus. One of those couples was recently in my office. And I got to be honest, they're not a couple that Becky and I would have done life with. They like different things than we like. They enjoy doing different things that we do. But a friend of mine loved them and reached them for Jesus because they loved doing things that they liked doing. And they sat in front of my desk earlier this year and they said, Pastor, we were the least likely candidates for salvation. We laughed at people like you. We would get drunk and watch people like you on TV and say, what an idiot you are. And says, now we're idiots just like you. <laughs> Not the most complimentary thing that's ever been said to me in my life, but I understood what they're saying. And they're passionate followers of Jesus. And I look at their children loving Jesus. And I go, yes. Somebody took time to think about it. Somebody took time to live among lost people. Somebody was willing to be mocked. And today, their house was not only saved, but another home was saved. And friends, we are all here today because God is building a family through faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? 
Well, I've got to stop because that's as far as I got in the first service before time ran out this morning. So next week, you got to come back for part two because it gets better and better if I say so myself. So I want to ask you a real simple question this morning. What's going to define your life? Is it going to be your wounds? And I know you have them. Or is it going to be the wounds of Jesus by whose stripes we are healed? What's going to define your life? Is it going to be the hope of heaven? Or is it going to be the hope of a better life on this earth? What's going to define your life? What's going to define you this morning? Is it going to be a life of partying and frolicking? Or will it be the way of the cross? You see, now listen carefully. Because I don't want to sound preachery here this morning. I'm not saying that your wounds aren't real. We prayed for Debbie Winters this morning because her pain and her fear was real. But we believe by Jesus' stripes we are healed. I'm not saying this morning in any way that the good things that God gives us to enjoy upon this earth, we should enjoy them. We should fill our homes with things that define us and say who we are. My world is real simple. If you come into my tiny space in our house, it's all books and a few running things. My world is simple. Matter of fact, if you come into the room that my little study at our house, you'll probably go, oh, okay. But when you walk through our house, there's an aura. Because the things in this earth that define us are the things that point us to heaven. But in that boring little study of mine that you might not like because I'm telling you it's books all the way up the wall it's books on the floor it's books on the desk it's books on the chair for you to sit in if you want to come sit in that you have to move and it's books beside the chair I read and have my devotions in but there's one painting in that room that you gave Becky and I years ago on our 25th wedding anniversary and it's called Perseverance and I look at that picture of a ship in an epic storm and I pray daily for you and for my family that we will choose the way of the cross and we will persevere what going Before I pray a prayer blessing, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I want to pray with you. I want to give you the chance just to think about it for a moment. Do you believe that there is a God? Do you believe that He loves you? Is He real? 
Don't look at your sin. Look at Jesus this morning. Even with your limited knowledge about Him, even with my limited knowledge about Him, I know that He loves me. I know that He loves you. And if He's real, do you believe His Word? morning and I think you are not because of anybody in particular but I've just really as I've been closing this message I've been quickened by something I hadn't planned to say maybe you once really used to walk close with Jesus maybe you really once wow you were close to Christ you've become indifferent you're going through the motions it's time to come back it's time to repent of your sin say Lord forgive me you see don't ever forget Moses took something in the ark with him excuse me Noah took something in the ark with him he took his sin because even though he survived an epic disaster and was blessed by God, he would later sin against God. He would find forgiveness and grace. You can always come home to the Father. You can always come back to Christ. Don't look at your sin. Look at God who's able to save to the uttermost. So why don't you join these that are going to pray with me right now. Say, Heavenly Father, with all of my heart, I believe in you. I don't understand it all yet, but I believe in you. Forgive my sins. Give me a fresh start in life. I pray that this day forward that my life will be defined by my faith in God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. We're some that prayed that in our first service this morning. And if you prayed that, we have some folks right out here at our connections desk. They're there to help you. I have something I want to give you to help you get started in your walk with Christ. But if you'll be sure and give them your email or your snail mail address, I have something else I want to send you to help you get started in your walk with Christ. But in the meantime, in the name of Him who loved us and gave Himself for us, may God always make His face shine upon you. May God always keep you full to overflowing with His Holy Spirit. And may God who has called you to be more than an overcomer, 
cause you to be prosperous and productive in everything you do. And may there be an aura about you that people will say, what have you got that I don't have? Go in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen. God bless you.